than at News Nation, to be honest, right? Sure. Like, we, we, we were working together at another shop. We're now at this place. Um, and it's fun to work here, right? I mean, it that's is. What I it's refreshing. It's a it. lot of fun. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's fun getting to work with you again. And I'll look forward to next week. So we'll see you Monday. Yes. But have a great show today. Thank you, sir. Great show. Have a great weekend. We'll catch you uh, on Monday, Connell. See you then. All right. So we have an idea of where things are headed, but still no one, and I mean no one in Washington right now, knows how any of this ultimately gets finalized. In 32 hours from now, the government is set to shut down. Just hours ago, a House bill pushed by parts of the right flank failed. Republicans meeting moments ago to figure out what comes next. Coming up, we are live from Capitol Hill talking to two major players as leaders are scrambling. Plus, one of the sticking points for conservative Republicans, taking care of the southern border. And look who was there yesterday, the world's wealthiest man. So what's Elon Musk saying now? Plus, she went from California to the halls of the Capitol. We remember a trailblazer and a pioneer, former Senator Dianne Feinstein. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello there. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill on News Nation. Once again, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel on this Friday afternoon. Michael Starr Hopkins is a Democratic strategist. There he is. Smiling. <laughs> Ashley Davis, former George W. Bush White House official. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist and a former surrogate to the Biden-Harris campaign. And Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former Trump White House chief of staff, News Nation political and economic contributor. Hello to you all. There is a ton to get to today. Let's start off here. Uh, just over 24 hours from now, the federal government set to shut down, potentially. Unless the dynamic here in Washington subtly shifts before tomorrow night at midnight. We'll get into where things stand politically in a second, but first consider some of the impacts, potentially. For example, there are more than 1.3 million active military members who could have to wait to get paid, and federal programs people depend on could be paused. And then there's this, a headline from the Washingtonian. You can get divorced, but not married in D.C. during a government shutdown. That, my friends, is real. <laughs> there are a lot of absurdities at the concept of shutting down the federal government, no matter where you stand on the issue and where you stand politically. I think just that sentence and that concept has, brings a little bit of absurdity to it. And that headline right there, Ashley, ex explains and sums it all up, does it not? Absolutely, and I think Mick said it for best before we started that there's priorities within the Washington government <laughs> what can happen and what can't. But no, it's actually sad. There's a lot of people's lives that will be impacted. So obviously there's the political theater that's happening in Washington, D.C. right now, but it is a real impact. And, more, and most importantly, impact. one of the most important things is the TSA lines are going to be really Oh my bad. gosh, there's impacts left and right. If you wonder how that you can get divorced but not married. There's two different offices here in D.C., Mulvaney. Like, and it just goes to show some, like... Are we doing the fun stuff first or the serious stuff? No, yeah, let's sorry. do the fun <laughs> stuff. Let's start I'd rather, I'd rather talk about the panda cam. I'm really crushing it. Oh, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think the way it works out is that you get your you get your marriage license from one branch of the government, you get divorced in another. and that's. <laughs> by, but by the way, halfway getting into the serious part of it, someone yeah. made that decision. So made the decision that this is essential or accepted is the new language in Washington, D.C., and that, that office is not. So there's a decision that someone made to result in this outcome. 
You're uh, you're just recently engaged. You're not showing that headline to the fiance. But <laughs> <laughs> she's watching right now. Okay, all right. Maybe hence I'm your sure intro. She knows. I guess. Of course she's we, watching. We, did you just say that? Of course yeah, she's yeah, watching. Yeah. We filed our marriage certificate. Everything back yet? Oh. Really? Yeah. You think it's, it's been something? Couple, it's been a couple weeks. So well, maybe. Delayed. Well, and you might. Yeah, yeah, it might be delayed, and that's part of it the. Probably will be. She better have filed it. Listen, I just dropped my passport off yesterday to get re-upped for my honeymoon next February. So if that doesn't work out, I'm camping out in Bakersfield with Kevin McCarthy. Aren't the, aren't the passport delays like a real thing here? No, they're like, well, they were a mess to begin with. Yeah, without the shutdown. Now that, yeah. that office yeah. will shut down, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> weren't a mess under the Trump administration. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Weren't as much of a mess under the Trump administration. Well, and they're, not, they're bad the because they're not back at work. By the way, I, um, I, I covered the Treasury Department when I was over there at the White House when you were there. I had no idea that the Treasury Department had something to do with craft beer. But here was a headline from the 2019 shutdown. The government shutdown is holding new craft beers hostage. I guess that has something to do with all of this, too. It just goes to show... When sort you take of away the beer, take away our freedom. <laughs> and, and, That's not going to stand. All right. Well, uh, joining us now is Republican Congressman Matt Rosendale. Uh, he's from the state of Montana. He voted against the stopgap spending measure this afternoon that House Republicans put forward. Congressman, thanks for being here on the Hill. You just heard us talk about, you know, some of what could potentially happen, but you were inside the room of a pretty major meeting just a little while ago among House Republicans. I hear that you spoke in that meeting with Kevin McCarthy. What'd you say? Yes, I did. Yeah, so what I would like to see is we demonstrated this past week uh, just how fast the House of Representatives can do its job and get appropriation bills passed. Uh, it's not just our obligation to the American people, but it's statutorily required to pass the 12 appropriation bills. And as Mr. Mulvaney knows, uh, this is the only way to truly fund government in a responsible and transparent fashion. Uh, that's what we're working towards. So my, my comments were, we, we should have done this in June, June the 1st. We should have done this July the 1st. We could have done this August the 1st. We didn't. But we find ourselves where we are. So my comments are, let's compress down the schedule that's been laid out. Let's get the next tranche of appropriation bills brought forward. Let's get them over to the uh, Rules Committee. I stayed last weekend. I worked on the, uh, the Rules yeah. Committee uh, amendments and authorizations. And then we brought them out to the floor. We worked till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. But we were able to bring all four of those bills up, appropriation bills, yeah. uh, passed and, three of and them. So, I voted yeah, for and all so the, four so we can the, move the forward. Yeah, and the translation for our audience at home is uh, you put forth individual bills, and that's part of the strategy versus lumping one a, a bunch of things together and extending it's uh, not you just know, a, this government. Yeah. No, go on. It's not just a strategy, Blake. It, it's statutorily uh, required for us to do that. We had also a, an agreement at the very beginning of this year. Uh, we changed the rules. We restored the rules in the House of Representatives so that we would only consider single-subject legislation. So not only do the rules require it in the House of Representatives, but statutorily we're supposed to pass the 12 appropriation bills. Okay, we were talking about some of the impacts. Uh, here they are if there is a government shutdown as well. 1.3 million active duty military, 59,000 Customs and Border Patrol on duty would not get paid during a shutdown. Essential federal government employees, uh, which Ashley talked about, TSA and air traffic controllers work, but they would not get paid. Federal nutrition assistance for women and children for 7 million people suspended, and that is just uh, a few items. This idea of potentially... Uh, 
It's getting behind a two-week stopgap measure, so stuff like that doesn't happen. Would you support that? Sure. Now, I've been very clear that I wouldn't support a continuing resolution. A continuing resolution, by very definition, extends Nancy Pelosi's spending levels and Joe Biden's policies. I just spent two years voting against all of that. And so that's what would you say to those those seven million women and children? What would you say to those seven million women and children in your district? So what, what I will tell you, Blake, is that with the bills that we've already passed, we're sending those over to the Senate. We're talking about funding 70 percent of the government. We're talking about, well, the, the military will get checks sent out uh, today, tomorrow. So th- those checks are going to be going out. And we're going to send out the Department of Defense um, appropriations bill. We're going to have Homeland Security sent over to the Senate. So we will have greater than 70 percent of the government, the appropriation bills for them, sitting over in the Senate. We sent the military construction VA bill over to the Senate weeks ago. And and so the Senate has not passed out a single solitary appropriations bill. So while I'm not really happy about where we are and why our leadership has failed us and allowed us to get to this point uh, where we should have been passing these bills out Two months ago, we, we yeah. are here, but at least now it is taking place. Congressman, I got to run, but real quickly, Kevin McCarthy, in your view, in your estimation, sir, did he save his job or to be determined? I, I think that's to be determined. We'll see what kind of coalition okay. uh, is put forward uh, going forward to see if it's more Democrats than Republicans. Got it. Congressman, uh, you've been on the show before. Thank you for the time today and, and thanks for coming on back. Appreciate it. Thank you, Blake. Appreciate it. Mix. So, um, and he name dropped you, so we'll start with you. Uh, To be clear for the audience at home, what he supports and what the House and his small contingent in the House is trying to push forward, these individual bills, has no chance of being passed in the Senate. And so while those are his principles and you can understand it, the reality on the ground is that. Okay, but by the same token, what just passed in the Senate has no chance to pass okay. in the House. So that, that doesn't that that's that's speaking up against a wall. No, that doesn't that argument doesn't resonate with folks like Matt and other folks in the House. That was a really good explanation, by the way, of why some of the people who are saying no, voting no at this time are doing what they're doing. It's a little inside baseball. It's yeah. always hard to explain the appropriations process, even to folks who understand the appropriations process. But that was well reasoned and well regarded. Um, the difficulty he's got is that he's he, that it's not all like that. Okay, there's other people in there who don't have any reason for doing what they're doing. Matt Gates doesn't seem to be able to articulate any reason other than he just hates Kevin McCarthy. I think if the opposition to Kevin McCarthy was entirely what you just saw, you could there'd be so, a way out of this. So let's pick up from there because I think one of the most interesting things that I just heard from the congressman and we've been talking about it is does does Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, have to move right to save his job? And He did. And I just asked Congressman Rosendale, did Kevin McCarthy save his job or TBD? And he basically said TBD. Yeah, Yeah, Blake, you hit the nail on the head with that final question. That's been the the calibration going on in the House. Does Kevin McCarthy want to keep his job over funding this government? He could go right now to Hakeem Jeffries and get the votes necessary to pass this CR, pass it on to the Senate and come together in a conference committee so that we don't shut down. the. But is it all all on Kevin McCarthy, though? A hundred percent. I mean, he's calling the shots. He's he's putting the agenda forward. Well, certainly. Yeah. I mean, he's (laughs) de facto in charge at this point. But it's up to Kevin McCarthy. And, And again, we had a deal with Kevin McCarthy back in the spring to the, the, these funding levels that he has backtracked on. The problem so, with McCarthy is he's speaker okay. in name only. And 
Go ahead. So, no, 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 you're, finish your point, and then I'll get to something. Well, yeah, I mean, he's speaker in name only. And, like, he just needs to realize that maybe they're not that into you. Like, maybe they don't want you to be speaker. And if he wants to spend the next four years uh, avoiding discharge petition, that's going to be a lonely place. If he didn't figure that out on the 15th vote to become speaker, yeah, exactly. might not run into that. So you might, be, you might be wondering where President Biden is in all of this. And today, uh, the commander-in-chief spoke, and he spoke about troop levels. Here was President Biden. Uh, he said, quote, the longer the shutdown lasts, we don't have that sound bite, but here's what he said, quote, the longer the shutdown lasts, the harder it will be for military families to pay their bills. You can't be playing politics when our troops stand in the breach. It is an absolute dereliction of duty. Okay, and, I, and that's a, a fair argument. He's the commander in chief. Yeah. I just heard the commander in chief say, you got to pay the military in this time or else it is an absolute dereliction of duty. He's not negotiating right now with Kevin McCarthy. Isn't it the commander-in-chief's duty right now to, res- to, to negotiate one-on-one with the top Republican well, it's here in Washington? The purse is uh, controlled by Congress through legislation, through the con- Constitution, mm-hmm. so he can't just put together a deal. He it's can't, gotten- but you know how this works. Like, Obama and Boehner would sit down before well, the blow-up, the Trump and Pelosi and Schumer. Uh, but that's the, the Oval problem. To, you we know. don't have someone who, on the Republican side, has the power to make these decisions. Or on the Democrat out. side. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't know about that. Biden couldn't add, mu- couldn't add much. Biden's been the, I mean, the best deal-maker Democrats have had in the best in the, the Senate. In, in the Senate. I don't think, I don't think he helps any, any in, in the House. But, but your point, like, we had an agreement that the president worked out with Kevin McCarthy in the spring, both on the debt ceiling and budget numbers and it's the speaker that backed away from that debt and now you're seeing last minute because kevin uh, is on the hook for all this that's saying where's the president on this trying to defect blame when it's his fault and his fault alone all right well can i just say something real quick here? <laughs> and then we're going to go There's back to things. the hill for okay that's fine but, but no, I, no, just, I just <laughs> i just want to say um first of all the administration does have a lot of flexibility and you would know this better than anybody being an omb the president and the administration can decide who is essential and who is not. And so a lot of these people could get paid along the way. Real quickly, did you, did you work yesterday? I did. Did you get paid yesterday? Uh, Does that mean yeah. you worked for free? It's not, it's not right. working for free until you miss your next pay. Get paid this weekend. The next pay period is not until October 13th. All of this discussion about people are working without getting paid, including the TSA people, who are going to supposedly make so our lives so difficult, it doesn't make a okay. difference until October 13th. All right. Joining us now is a Republican Congressman Ken Buck from Colorado. He also voted against uh, the GOP stop, ma- uh, stop gap spending measure earlier today. But he has, as you might know, split with other GOP members on the impeachment inquiry recently into President Biden. Congressman Buck, thank you for being here on the Hill. Uh, Appreciate it, sir. Busy day, as we all know. Would you support, and let's start here, um, would you support any sort of democratic measure to get out of where we are right now? Well, uh, I, I look forward to working with my Democrats on Democrat friends on reducing spending. I look forward to working with them on reducing regulation. I look forward to the, working with them on strengthening our economy, reducing uh, inflation. All those things are on the table for me. If they want to come to the table and, and work on those issues, absolutely I'll work with Democrats. Never opposed to working with Democrats. Um, in fact, this bill, this vote that we had today was a bipartisan rejection of this irresponsible legislation by Kevin McCarthy. We had Democrats and Republicans voting against this bill. It wasn't just Freedom Caucus members as, as Republicans. We had seven, six or seven others uh, who joined some Freedom Caucus members to vote against this. So I think we are working in a bipartisan way right now, and I look forward to working in a bipartisan way in the future. 
You said earlier this week, Congressman, I believe that uh, if there was a shutdown, it was it was your sense that it would only last a couple days. Now that we are a couple days or less than that away from a possible shutdown, is that still your sense that if there is one, it is brief in nature? We should have been doing what we're doing now back in June and July and working on a CR, knowing that we weren't going to pass all the bills by September 30th. Now what I understand is the next plan is to put more appropriations bills on the floor in the next week and then to work on a CR to make sure that, um, as my good friend Mick Mulvaney said, we we pay all federal workers uh, by their October 13th next uh, date. And so uh, I think that's that's realistic. Uh, We can do that. We should stay in Washington, D.C. until this is over. And I look forward to working on those uh, every every single one of those appropriations bills. So, no, I think that the so-called shutdown will last longer than just uh, a few days uh, at this point as I look at the, the strategy that, that uh, if you what, can call it should, that, that so uh, leadership if, is putting if out. So if you're longer than a few days right now, you think it, it goes weeks? No, I think it goes through next week at least, and then I think the beginning okay. of the following week we start to continue to pass some appropriations bills, but also uh, look at a CR at that point. All right, CR, basically sort of a, a stopgap measure of however long, maybe a couple of weeks uh, or maybe a month or a month and a half. Um, you know, Congressman, you, um, you're, you're with some of the more conservative members of your party right now on this spending issue. You have been on the complete opposite side when it comes to impeaching uh, President Biden or at least the impeachment inquiry. You have said, for example, earlier this month that there was no smoking gun against the president. Of course, there was the first hearing earlier this week. Uh, in the Oversight Committee yesterday, wondering what you what your initial thoughts are after watching the hearing. Well, I have to tell you, I, uh, Jonathan Turley, professor at George Washington Law School, um, said exactly what I feel, and that is that uh, there isn't enough evidence at this point to warrant an impeachment of President Biden. Um, I said it. Um, I, I consider myself more of a constitutional conservative than I do a, a populist uh, Republican. And I think we've got to abide by the letter of the Constitution and make sure I, that, that we don't uh, just have a, a, an impeachment that is a retribution for a bad impeachment that occurred with, with President Trump. Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado uh, on a busy Friday afternoon in the halls of Congress. Uh, thank you, sir, for joining us. Hope you come on back. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, of course. All right. Meantime, tributes from both sides of the political aisle are pouring in for the California Senator Dianne Feinstein. She passed away last night at the age of 90. A trailblazer, a political pioneer, she dedicated her life to serving and improving the lives of others. The senator broke barriers for women in the United States Senate. She was the first woman to chair multiple committees, the Rules Committee, the Intelligence Committee, and she was the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. Feinstein fought for gun control, even spearheading the assault weapons ban back in 1994. So the gentlelady from California needs to become a little more familiar with firearms and their deadly characteristics. And I say that because it is a personal privilege for a moment, please. Yes, certainly. I am quite familiar with firearms. I became mayor as a product of assassination. I'm aware of that. I found my assassinated colleague and put a finger through a bullet hole. Feinstein's death transcending politics, for example, here was the top Republican today in Washington. At the end of the day, the trailblazing of the first 
woman elected mayor, even coming from a different party, inspired women from both sides of the aisle to seek elected office and to have their voices heard. Joining us now is Johanna Mosca, former Obama administration official and News Nation contributor. As you can see there, she joins us from her home state of California. Uh, Johanna, good to have you on this Friday. Sorry, it's to talk about this. I'm just, you know, wondering your your initial thoughts when you heard the news this morning as a Democrat uh, in politics from your home state. She follows a lot of men having died in office. Um, I know there were a lot of calls for her to retire toward the end of her life, but I think it is important to remember that she, when she entered the Senate in 1992, there were three women. Two of them were elected and one was appointed in the Senate, and she leaves a Senate that has 25 women. So it's changed significantly hmm. over the course of time, and it's good that we see so much of this rolling in. I mean, Eleni Kunalakis, lieutenant governor, has made mention of working on that 1992 race. And, you know, it was pivotal for her because at that time she was the first female senator from the state of California. There has not been still a female governor in the state of California. Um, and Eleni, of course, is going to try for that position. But, you know, the other side of this is now that because it has been a death in office and Gavin Newsom is yeah. in charge of appointing her replacement, this puts him in a really sticky situation. Yeah, he said he, he was pledged. he was talking about this. Yeah, he was talking <laughs> about this just, you know, recently a couple of weeks ago, Johanna, as you know, and he basically said he didn't want to have to make a decision uh, to replace her if if she were to resign. Uh, obviously, now she has passed yeah. and he has to make that decision. He's got no choice and he probably has to do yeah. it soon with basically a divided Senate. Um, what are you hearing or what do you what do you think happens on that front? I'm. I'm hearing a lot of people with Barbara Lee are picking up the phone and trying to influence this. Look, when he appointed the last senator in the position uh, when Kamala Harris left that position, it was uh, Alex Padilla, who was a friend of his, yeah. who was the first Latino uh, senator. And, uh, and of course, Alex Padilla ran for that seat again. So the notion of him appointing a caretaker in this position has really rung hollow with a lot of people who believe that he should make a decision on this and appoint a successor. Barbara Lee is in the race. So is Adam Schiff. So is Katie Porter. Um, there are a lot of people who have, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm for each one of them. But he said right. he's going to appoint a black woman. Barbara Lee is yeah. a black woman, and she's certainly seeking that appointment. Interesting. All right. Johanna Mosca joining us live from Los Angeles, California. Johanna, see you soon. Have a great weekend. See you soon. All right. Well, coming up, he is the world's richest man. He can go basically wherever he wants. Heck, he wants to go to Mars at some point. But Elon Musk chose the southern border, the tech billionaire live streaming his visit to Eagle Pass, Texas. So why did he go? And is this part of something bigger? We'll get into it when The Hill on News Nation returns. Needed to finish that sentence. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> all right, welcome back to the Hill. Eagle Pass, Texas, has been at the center of the border crisis lately, with thousands of migrants crossing into that town every day. It even caught the attention of the world's wealthiest individual. I'm Elon here. Um, I'm uh, at Eagle Pass. I uh, just arrived, and um, we're, we're just going to go around and, and talk to the, um, the, the major 
officials uh, and, and law enforcement and whatnot that uh, are here as and, and just kind of eyeball the situation and get a sense for what's going on. That, of course, Elon Musk live streaming his appearance there last night. Today, he reacted with the following, writing on his platform X, quote, illegal immigration needs to stop, but I'm super in favor of greatly expanding and simplifying legal immigration. Anyone who proves themselves to be hardworking, talented, and honest should be allowed to become an American, period. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, uh, came to this country uh, as an immigrant legally himself. Mick, we talked about this the other day, wondering what might there be? Could this be a tech play for him? But he says this is... Uh, about needing to, to fix the immigration process. And, and it could be both. I mean, listen, my party is not Saul resolved yet on this whole immigration issue. I mean, we're still divided on it. I happen to agree with what he said, and I was in the White House, for goodness sake. I, I got a news view. My boss did not agree with that particular <laughs> statement. So there's a legitimate disagreement within the Republican Party as yep. to how to handle legal immigration going forward. But I still think it could be both. And he could also be down there to see if there's a way to fix this with technology, because it's what he does really, really well. Yeah, you talk about in the Trump administration, this is legal immigration in the United States over the last five years, starting in 2017, the first year of the Trump administration, it was about 1.12 million. That number dipped in 2020, of course, COVID to 700,000, but it was dropping steadily to then. Uh, last year, it was just over 1 million legal permanent residents. Uh, Elon is sort of a thorn in the side to Democrats. You've got the former Trump White House chief of staff saying, you know, he agrees, but maybe that the old administration wouldn't have. Do you agree with Elon there? So I partly agree. I don't trust Elon. Why don't you? Yeah, why like, don't I trust him? Yeah. Because he says things that I think are clickbait, and I don't know if he really, like, some of the anti-Semitic stuff that he says on Twitter, yeah. like, I don't know if he believes it or if he's just playing to a certain crowd. And I think with this, I inherently believe what he says, but the people behind him, if you watch that video, looked really confused <laughs> because he didn't well, look, it didn't look like what so he was saying you was talked about favorite. The people behind him, he was there with Congressman Gonzalez from Texas. I believe that's his district or close to it. Here's what the Texas congressman had to say. He said, quote, Elon has brought more attention to the southern border than our own president. And I'm confident that his coverage will shed light on this issue for all Americans to see. It's, he's basically saying he's beaten the president to the punch. Well, certainly Elon loves to be the center of the attention and looks like he's going to make immigration that avenue to be that center of attention. But listen, if he's coming out in favor of a comprehensive immigration reform, which it sounds like he is, I'm all for it. You had all the Republicans on the debate stage talking about the fact that we've got four or five million uh, jobs in this country that are open uh, and, and hiring. And we need good people to do that. So I'm all about coming uh, to mixed direction in terms of border security, more border agents, more wall even, if we can also figure out on the, the back end how to get more people here legally working. And exactly what he talked about, though, was exactly what President Bush and Senator Kennedy were doing in 2007 before the banks collapsed. I mean, that's and, what, that was the policy that they were promoting. 2017, 2014, when uh, the Senate passed a comprehensive immigration bill. But the other thing that he did talk about was what the migrants are doing to the social services system yeah, in the U.S. I mean, he did say that New right. York is crumbling literally because of what's happening in New York and how many migrants are there. Right. So he wasn't just clickbait. Just I mean, wearing a serious problem. Just looking sure. awesome. No, 100%. All right. Well, coming up. Just looking awesome in that hat. <laughs> yeah, he was wearing a cowboy hat. Uh, word of a big announcement Backwards, today. by the way. Was it? <laughs> I hadn't noticed. The hat was on backwards, yes. What, really? Huh. Interesting. Okay. Uh, RFK Jr., could there be a little wrinkle in the 2024 presidential race? A new report out today involving that man right there and what it could mean for the race going forward when The Hill returns.
Welcome back. There is a new report out this afternoon involving Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that could potentially scramble the 2024 presidential race. The news website Mediaite is reporting that RFK Jr. plans to announce he will run as an independent on October 9th in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> take this at, at face value if the report is true. You, first off, you're sitting back going, whoa. That's a huge problem. Uh, for? For the president. Uh, for, for President, president Biden. Biden. Why? Uh, listen, uh, anytime you have more people in this race uh, that folks have a, a choice on between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, it's problematic for Joe Biden. The, the Donald Trump activated so many people. We saw the highest turnout election, <clears throat> excuse me, in 100 years, mostly because of Donald Trump, not because of Joe Biden in 2020. That was a reaction to, to Donald Trump. So, again, if you've got Cornell West running on a party line, if you've got Robert Kennedy running on a party line, that's problematic for Joe Biden. What about the idea maybe that some of his views, he had unfavorable ratings with Democrats, some of his views more aligned with Republicans, so maybe it could actually hurt Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, pull, pull in I, that direction? I, I find some very hard to believe Trump, voters right now voting for the son of Bobby Kennedy yeah. uh, in America. And plus politics. those voters already have a home in the Libertarian Party, right? I think that I think this is a this is a problem. In fact, I've talked to a former head of the DNC and this before this happened and he was already concerned about the Cornell West thing and the Green Party thing. And the no labels thing too, yeah. potentially. And, well, and the no labels I think is a little bit different just because I have seen the data and I happen to believe that we'll pull evenly from both parties. I may not be in the majority of that, but I, I, th I think there is data to, to back that up. But the DNC person was simply saying, look, go back and look at Florida. We've all know the stories. Yeah. Look at Florida in 2000. Look at Michigan in 2016. They were minuscule Republican wins, and they turned the, 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 the tide of an election. This just adds to that complexity. We've learned a lot of lessons from that, though, as Democrats. On, let's see, October 9th is when he's supposed to announce. October 8th, they will drop the holy hell of oppo uh, research on him. I mean, what, what else is care? out there, though, yeah, Bobby Kennedy? I mean, we know care? his views. He's, you know. But, like, Democrats are, does it make a difference in this thing? Yeah. Democrats, it does. It, it wouldn't make a difference with Republicans. Didn't we just have a conversation about a candidate in Northern Virginia running for state house doing public sex tapes? Like, <laughs> does it really matter for you folks? But it's a state legislature race. It's a little, I think that's a little different. Like, we are talking about someone running for president. One, I don't think Democrats take him seriously anyway. But I think when you oppo dump on him and make him so toxic that no one, even people who are between fifteen and twenty percent of people polled, take him seriously. But ninety percent of more Democrats get to know his actual views, his numbers go down. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. Can I ask you a question about what does this do to a Joe by or Joe Manchin race? I mean, Joe Manchin is going to make a decision just for Joe Manchin's interests, not you know analyzing the field whatsoever. I think in the at the end of the day, Joe Manchin's got an. $14 million in the bank and wants to be a player and I think runs for re-election in West Virginia. Ooh, really? A hundred percent. Oh, wow. I, wow. I, I was out in West Virginia a few That's weeks ago. Did you say? I, I was out in West Virginia a few weeks ago with Shelley Moore Capito, I, I, bipartisan, uh, and the fact that Joe Manchin is showing up at local community events, going to local parades, See, is an indication that he's looking at home and not at national That's office. fair. That's fair. But you had me up until that last sentence, which is he's going to do what's right for Joe Manchin. He's got $14 million. He wants to be president. And he sees maybe the No Labels Avenue as a way to do that. I don't happen to think yeah, anybody in this country is yeah. clamoring for Joe Manchin to be president. Yeah. I think it'd be a disaster. But Joe Manchin probably doesn't see it that way. That's the first person I've had. By the way, it makes perfect sense. If he's working hard at home, that's a good indicator. But that's the first I've here. heard of that. There you go. You heard it here. <laughs> I just, I don't like Joe Manchin. I've made that very clear, but I don't think he's stupid. And what he doesn't want to be remembered for is handing the, the torch to Trump again. Yeah. And so I don't see a world where he runs for president. And I that's, think he personally the way, likes the president. That's not a bad pitch if you want to be the president of West Virginia University. <laughs> I gave the presidency to Trump. Yeah.
Is, like, is, is that a play? Go Matt. That is, yeah. He's that, being, yeah. yeah. That's part. That's, that's one of the one of the possible jobs for him that folks have talked about on his way out. Yeah. All right. Well, a programming note uh, for Monday, by the way. Pulse of the People continues right here on the Hill. News Nation political editor Chris Steyerwalt sits down with voters in Iowa ahead of the first in the nation caucus in January. It's getting close. I mean, heck, October's here in a couple days. Uh, he'll find out what they're looking for in a presidential candidate. That is on Monday, five o'clock Eastern, right here on the Hill. Coming up, what happens to the U.S. military if there is a government shutdown? We'll talk to Elizabeth Vargas about that right after the break. Stay with us. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. For my friend, Luke. For my mom, Paulette. And for my mom, Finia. For my husband, Helmet. Honor someone you love by learning the warning signs of stroke. If you see face drooping, arm weakness, or speech difficulty, it's time to call 911. A stroke can happen to anyone at any age. Be ready to spot a stroke fast. Learn more from the American Stroke Association at stroke.org. My whole identity had been wrapped up in being a soldier. To have that so violently ripped from me when I was wounded, I was lost for a very long time. When Wounded Warrior Project came into my life, being around the other warriors, people that had similar experiences that I did, it was a game changer for me. Having King join the group, that was the beginning of a really good friendship. It's a, it's, a, it's a good time. I first heard about Wounded Warrior Project through CQ. And at first I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I qualify. But having been a part of it, it's kind of taught me that it's not just the wounds that you can see, but it's those that you can't. When you do something like a peer support group with Wounded Warrior Project and come together from different walks of life, man, the growth is incredible. If not for Wounded Warrior Project, I really don't think that I'd be here today. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. Babes, what are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says... Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on... SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to News Nation On The Go. I'm Marnie Hughes, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others. That's what we were taught, service before self. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. 
When is the last time you reached out for help? If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'm Naheem Hines, proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom has muscular dystrophy, and the MDA helps her and kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. And MDA funds over 150 care centers for kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Learn more at MDA.org today. Questions continue to arise about whether some universities are stifling free speech. A new report from the House Education and the Workforce Committee proposes Congress take action. For example, prohibiting the use of political tests and mandating institutional neutrality. Joining us now is the Congresswoman from Virginia, uh, as Congresswoman, rather, Virginia Fox from North Carolina, who chairs that committee. Congresswoman, thanks for being here, joining us on the Hill on a Friday afternoon. I know this is an issue that is important to you. Uh, I've read through the report. What's the problem here, as you see it, that's happening on college campuses? Well, the problem is that uh, two-thirds of the students on college campuses uh, feel that they cannot speak up freely on their campus without being in some way um, taken to task for their speech. This is not appropriate. Our country is built on the issue of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom to assemble. That is being stymied on college campuses all across the country, and we cannot have that. Higher education right now is being held in very low esteem by the American people. There are many, many reasons for it, not the least of which is this issue of free speech not being allowed on college campuses. We also must hold our campuses accountable, and this is part of what we want to do in holding them accountable. You know, I was reading through the report, and there was, was stuff in there about what's called free speech zones. What, in, what, what on earth is that? <laughs> I, w- I was shocked to read about that and hear about that. <laughs> Well, there are places, there's some campuses where they've designated very, very small places, very small spaces where you can go say anything you want to, but on the rest of the campus you're not allowed to. That, again, is totally wrong. That is not what the Constitution says when it says that we sh- the Congress shall make no laws infringing upon free speech. So campuses that receive money from taxpayers at the federal level have no business infringing upon free speech. And when you create a so-called free speech zone, that's what you're doing. 
Hmm. All right. So you're obviously a member of Congress and, and you want Congress to act on this. Here are some of the proposed solutions you call for, for example, uh, the prohibition of the use of political tests. And you call for um, what you describe as mandated institutional neutrality. Uh, the folks at home can see some of that on the screen now, Congresswoman. Um, how does that solve the problem here? And do you actually have support in Congress for this? I believe we will have very strong support in Congress on this because it, it doesn't matter whether you are liberal or conservative. You should want to preserve the ability for people who have your philosophy to speak freely wherever they are, not just on campuses, but anywhere in the country. Again, our country was founded on our principles of freedom. And we have to do everything we possibly can to protect those freedoms. You know, there's a saying, I may not agree with you, but I'll fight to the death for your freedom to express yourself. And that's how the opinion has been in the past in this country. Suddenly, we've gone through an era where people haven't felt that way, where they want to stifle your ability to speak, but they want to be able to speak and say what they want to say. Congresswoman Virginia Fox uh, from the state of North Carolina. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for explaining it. Appreciate the time, Congresswoman. Thank you for highlighting the report and the issue. Of, co of course, you got it. Uh, Michael, free speech zones. Like when I went to yeah. college, you had a, a ticket to get into the football stadium or, you know, you had a real or fake ID to get into the bar, yeah. right? Like fake. that was the college. Yeah, that was my college experience. Uh, free speech zones. Yeah. So uh, that's a real gloss over version of what a uh, free speech zone is. Because when they have protests, for so example, Charlie Kirk goes to University of Maryland and gives a speech. There's going to be a lot of protests about him being there. So rather than having protests all over campus, they put free speech zones in. So the protesters can be in one place that's encircled with railings so that the police can then make sure there's no assaulting of Charlie Kirk. And on the flip side, at University of Alabama, when Chelsea uh, Handler goes there and gives a speech, there's going to be the same kind of thing because they want to make sure that she's not going to get assaulted. So you take no there's issue with free speech zones. I mean, that's literally a, like, that's a legal thing that has been done at courthouses, has been done all over the country. They're free speech zones at Trump rallies. Like, that's. I'm speaking Hello. at, uh, I'm speaking at Berkeley. Oh, oh yeah. How's that going to yeah. In a couple of weeks. And I'll, I'll come to your security. Yeah, I will report back and see if that's right. how it happens. We'll talk about it. Then. You need full on bar to guard. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, turning back now to the impending, potentially at least, government shutdown. On top of the short term spending bills, House Republicans have also uh, failed to pass a defense spending bill. It means that the men and women of our military would not get paid if the government shuts down this weekend. Elizabeth Vargas joins us now with the latest. Elizabeth, as, as Mick was describing, you know, there could be a little bit of a runway here a couple weeks as it relates to paychecks. But either way, it is a, a huge uh, and contentious sticking point, is it not? Yeah. One in four military families has food insecurity, and most military families mm. live paycheck to paycheck. So missing a paycheck will have a huge and enormous yeah. consequences pretty immediately. I mean, it's just, I'm an, I'm an army brat. I grew up, I'm, I am, I was the daughter of a military officer. Um, so I know what that's like. So we're going to talk uh, in just a few minutes to two women who are both military wives about the impact this would have. Um, one of them is already being told that her daughter needs a medical procedure that has, has, to, has to be now on hold because they're aware mm -hmm. of the fact that these paychecks may stop. It's going to have and big implications because a lot of people say, well, they'll get the pay eventually. 
Uh, but right. the problem is, is uh, many, many of these military families don't have the capacity. They don't have the savings. We don't pay them enough. Uh, an average sergeant earns around $45,000 a year, much less than the average congressman, by the way, who will continue wow. to get paid during the shutdown, unlike our military yeah. families. Yeah, the, the members of Congress continue. It was interesting. There was a moment today, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy was like, oh, I won't take my paycheck. And over at the White House, Shalanda Young, the budget director, was like, constitutionally, you have to. Yeah. Uh, Whether so, he, so he, argument, he chooses not to no. take his paycheck or not, someone's going to make out a check to Kevin McCarthy with, with his pay. So that does not right. happening with any of our Border Patrol agents, our United States yeah. military uh, service members, uh, air traffic controllers. There's a lot of people who are going to feel the impact right away. Yep. All right. Uh, Elizabeth, we'll see you in about uh, seven and a half minutes from now. Remember, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports here on News Nation coming up at six o'clock. See you, Elizabeth. Thanks. Yep. All right. Well, coming up before we go, pandemonium at the Smithsonian National Zoo here in D.C. I actually went a couple weeks ago. That's pretty cool. Uh, is it over? And what does China have to do with it? We'll explain coming up next. East and West, day and night. Truck drivers are the unseen heroes that keep our country running. Morning in America is dedicating a full week to the men and women behind the wheel. All next week, 6-5 Central on Morning in America. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so of course we've been talking about the uh, possible government shutdown at the beginning of the show. There are some other impacts, though, as well. The shutdown looms over the pandas here in Washington, D.C. The Smithsonian Zoo, uh, it will continue its Pandapalooza. That is the event celebrating the zoo's pandas before they head back to China in a couple months' time. But funding remains uncertain after October 7th. If, if you come to D.C., you got to go see the pandas uh, because they're gone in a couple months. Yeah. But keep in mind, you just, you just said something really interesting, though. <laughs> huh. October 7th, not yeah. Saturday. Right. This is one of those things and that it's, is And flexible. it's because they have funding, right, for like a, or leftover funding? Or? And, and decisions, decisions like that are up to the Office of Management Budget in the Biden administration. Okay? There's a great deal of politics that goes into what stays open and what closes during a shutdown. And so that example of this staying open until October 7th and not huh. Saturday is, in a strange kind of way, a way you can talk about the funny stuff and I can talk about the geeky Very stuff. Yeah, there we go. And more importantly, why is China taking them back and not giving us I think they were on, like, on loan, right? Yeah, they I always they, are on loan, they, but right. they always give us I, I said more. during the break, I want to keep them hostage so that they don't invade Taiwan. <laughs> if you can get those pandas back, if you give us every military assurance that you will not By the way, one other, uh, one other impact before we go. Jimmy Carter turning 99 on Sunday, and his presidential library is moving up the festivities on, uh, to Saturday just in case uh, the government shuts down and there's impacts there. By the way, most importantly, happy birthday uh, to the former president. To get 